This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Levy Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Visiting with us today in studio is Richard Rummel from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks Black Bear Program. We'll talk about how many bears are here in Mississippi, where exactly they're found, and what you should do if you come face-to-face with one of these mighty creatures. So if you've had a recent bear experience, we'd love to hear your story. Dr. Major here, ready to take your pet questions as well. Join the conversation with a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464, or you can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. Just a reminder that if you ever miss Thursday's broadcast, Creature Comforts repeats every Saturday morning at 6. Good morning. I hope everyone is doing well this morning. Good morning. morning. Thank you. Good morning. Libby, you're jotting down some notes, so I know you've got some interesting events to tell us about. Yeah, people have been sending me all kinds of things from the folks at Audubon on the coast. Saturday, June the 23rd, that's this Saturday at 10.30, past Christian Library. They're going to have a training for volunteer bird stewardship. So if you're interested in helping protect the um, beast nesting lease terns and the black skimmers, then um, that's a good time to go over. And then again, it looks like on Thursday, June the, the 28th. But basically, get in touch with the... Gulf Coast Audubon, if you're interested in getting trained to um, monitor the least terns that are nesting on the islands. You remember Molly Folkers was on our show not too long ago talking about those terns. Mm -hmm. And then the Natural Science Museum has Fun Friday again tomorrow from 10 to 12. And every Friday through July, you'll have those Fun Fridays. And Curiosity Day, so the, the fun Fridays are in the morning, 10 to 12. Curiosity Days are on Wednesdays, one thirty to 3 o'clock. And this coming one on July the 25th is a magic show. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lecture about salamanders on um, July the 3rd at noon by um, Jennifer Lamb. Okay. And uh, we had... Tom Mann come on and talk about salamanders mm-hmm. not too long ago. She's got some of her own wonderful photography and some of his photography, and I think it's going to be a, I know it'll be a really good show. I'll be there. All right. And occasionally we like to remind people uh, of the location and contact information for the museum. Okay. The museum is, uh, I, uh, if you can call that a corner, the corner of <laughs> Lakeland Drive and I-55 North, kind of across the interstate from the um, St. Dominic's Hospital, close to the Children's Museum, the Ag Museum, the Floors uh, Bluff State Park. Right. So there's all kinds of fun things to do right there. The um, Sports Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. You can spend at least one day there. Yes. But lots of different things for yeah. all members of the family mm-hmm. to be interested in. Even when it's hot and muggy. And I guess the quickest way to find information would just be to search for Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Yeah, that is the easiest way. If you, you don't have, if you didn't write down those dates and times that I just said, just look it up. All right, uh, we'll start off with an email, and uh, thanks to Paul who sent the email in because it's two really nice pictures 
Uh, but it says, it's a s- picture of a snake. Uh, found this in my back porch based on size, thinking rat snake or king snake. Added the yardstick to help gauge the size. Any thoughts on what it is, what type of snake it is? He sent us a beautiful picture of just a, a perfect gray rat snake doing what they do best. All the little <laughs> all the little S riffles in his back because they're just the best climbers. Hmm. And this one might be on the f- it looks like it's might be on the edge of a step, but they can climb the wall pretty well, and it's a really good mouser. All also right. known as chicken snake. Okay. Yeah, but that's <laughs> right. because he's getting not so not that he's after your chicken. Right. He might eat an egg though, yeah. but he's after the rats that like to come and eat the chicken yeah. food. Yeah. It's very. Uh, I like the coloring. I mean, it's a nice colored snake. So, mm-hmm. all right. So thanks for that. And again. Uh, Anytime you see something uh, when in your backyard or when you're out and about, if you could snap a quick picture of it and send it to animals at mpbonline.org, we'll be able to try to help you uh, determine exactly what it was. And so, Paul, you're right. That is a, a rat snake. So uh, we're going to be talking about black bears today with our guest Richard Rummel from the Black Bear Program at the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Uh, Richard, glad to have you back in the studio. Good to be here. I always like doing the show. Uh, remind us a little bit about your background. Oh, let's see. I'm getting old. (laughs) Been working in the wildlife field for a little over 40 years now. Um, Actually, in the old days, I did some work at the Natural Science Museum down on Jefferson Street. Uh, I've spent a number of years, about 15 years, in the zoo business, um, working in Jackson and Baton Rouge. Uh, Worked for U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service uh, Endangered Species Program and uh, been with uh, MDWFP for a little over 20 years now. All right. Our phone number, if you'd like to join the conversation this morning, is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show, animals, at mpbonline.org. So tell us a little bit about the, what work the Black Bear Program, people in the Black Bear Program do. Okay. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something before I forget it, because I know the show will be over and I'll forget it, but... Uh, uh, I want to plug our website, our agency's website, uh, Black Bear page, uh, com forward slash bears, or you can just go to the website and uh, and navigate from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've we've had it up for a while, but we've uh, recently made some improvements. One of the main things is we have a uh, an app, so to speak, I guess, or, or a feature on there to report black bear sightings. If you go to it, you can. There's a picture of a bear right below it. It says report sightings. You click on that, uh, and it's an interactive map. As much information as you can provide, we would appreciate. But you can do it. It's very simple to do. You can use do it from your phone. Um, the map might be, you know, a little difficult to see from a phone, but uh, there is interact interactive mapping uh, tool with that. So we ask people to to please use that. We also have other information on. Uh, about bears in Mississippi and everything that's going on. So I just wanted to plug that that uh, because we get calls, people call in and want to report a sighting. This makes it very easy uh, for for the public and for us as well. Uh, as far as what's going on now, I was telling uh, Libby and Dr. Major before we came in, this is very active season for bears right now. Uh, two things are happening in, in May, uh, May and June youngsters that were born last year or about 16 to 18 months old they're being kicked out by mom because she's ready <laughs> to start breeding again so they're like little 
teenagers just running <laughs> rampant, just, you know, that you don't know where they're going to turn up. Uh, so as I was trying to leave my office to come over here a few minutes ago, I kept getting a phone call of someone saw a bear crossing so-and-so road. And while we want to receive those reports, it helps us kind of keep track of things. Uh, this We get more reports in, in May and June. Also, uh, breeding season is, is coming up in July, July into August. So the males tend to wander a lot more looking for a female. So this May, June, July, uh, we get we get more calls than any other time of year. But as you mentioned, the the why you want uh, people to call in when when they see one, and, and again, you talked about it, and it does sound kind of easy to use modern technology to help you out, but part of what you do is track populations and, and, and trends and that sort of thing. Exactly. So it's it's helpful for you to get that input from folks if when they see bears in the wild. Exactly. Uh, people always ask us, well, how many bears do we have in Mississippi? And let me go ahead and, and get that out of the way because <laughs> I know it's one of the most interesting. Uh, it, trying to get a, a population estimate on, on an animal like a bear, whether a typical large carnivore, whether it's a, a cougar, a tiger, a bear, or anything like that, is extremely difficult to get any kind of population estimates. Um, we have some bears that are radio collared. You try to do uh, hair snare surveys where uh, you're baiting the bears in, you're getting hair off of barbed wire and doing DNA. But still, it's really difficult. It's very time-consuming. It's very expensive and labor-intensive. Uh, we say, based on sightings, based on our past research, uh, 200 bears in the state give or take 50, <laughs> give or take 25. It's just really difficult to say, but I, I think that's a safe safe estimate. But uh, what this does with our, I guess, uh, form of citizen science, at least the, the folks reporting, uh, and, and we ask for as much detail as possible. Now, a bear may just run across the road and they may get a, a fleeting glimpse, but if they can uh, give us kind of a size uh, in some instances, they may see one with a radio collar on it or ear tags uh, or something like that. A size. Size is difficult to determine, mm-hmm. particularly if you're not, if you don't see it for several minutes. Um, but that helps us um, know what's going on. Again, we're getting all these calls right now uh, of these bears, a lot in the coast, from the coastal area. Um, and so we're looking, we're mapping I turn on Google Earth when I get to my office in the morning and people call in and I'm getting the location. So I can say, okay, this bear was there last night and half a mile up the road we got a sighting. That's pretty much going to be the same bear. Mm-hmm. So it really, it, it, these sightings reports really help us kind of determine not an exact population estimate, but kind of a trend. Okay. I need to take a quick break. We've got some open phone lines ready for your questions about black bears for our guest, Richard Rummel. And Dr. Major here, ready to take some pet questions. And we always like to hear your encounters with wildlife. So give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number, it's one 672 You can always send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be back with more after this. Your home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. Thanks for joining us on MPB Think Radio's Creature Comforts. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. 
and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Today we're visiting with Richard Rummel from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks Black Bear Program. So we'll be talking about black bear throughout the hour, but also ready to take some pet questions. And again, anytime you have an encounter with any kind of wildlife that you'd like to share with us, we always like to hear your stories. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can always email the show, animals at mpbonline.org. And again, if you ever see something when you're out and about and want us to try to help you identify it, if you can snap a picture with your smartphone and email us the picture, that always helps, and we should be able to help you figure out what it is. And if we can't here in the studio, a lot of times Libby can take it to her folks, uh, friends back at the museum, and, and we can come up with something for you. Been IDing plants this morning here. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, we had uh, a listener leave a message uh, that said that they had heard, I think, in Maryland reports of bears raiding beekeepers' hives. Uh, Richard, any any uh, th- uh, reports of, of that nature here in Mississippi? Uh, yeah, unfortunately, bears will do that. They um, really do like honey. Well, it's more <laughs> they're, they're more looking for the larvae. The bee larvae is, oh. is what's been determined. Uh, now they will eat the honey, and but they're after the, that larvae in there. Uh, but what what most of the beekeepers have found in Mississippi, at least kind of the large scale, uh, is using hot wire around them. Um, they know we have uh, a couple of beekeepers that are pretty large scale up in the delta that are right slap in the middle of some of the our densest bear populations um and they use hot wire it's it's typical if any of uh, folks are familiar it's called poly tape you don't have to use three or four big strands of hot wire uh it's a little half inch wide tape that's that's embedded with the the wire and they found that if you put it up about knee high uh, you know, right when you first put it up, put a little jelly on there or something sweet to make them walk up there and <laughs> lick it or pop their nose on it. And Ooh. and it takes one time. Uh, I've talked to folks out in uh, out west in grizzly bear country. Same works for grizzlies. You know, four or five, six hundred pound grizzly around beehives. Uh, hot wire is very very effective. So if you if you have bees. Um, uh, in areas where there are bears, chances are they're going to find them, um, and just have to make the investment of uh, uh, maybe a solar go to the co-op, mm-hmm. a little solar power charger, um, and if you have you know other beekeepers, talk to them and they can, uh, or, or we can give you some advice on it. So it sounds like the bears are smarter. Once they get zapped, once they're like, I, yep. I don't think that's Absolutely. worth the trouble. <laughs> Absolutely, very good. Let's uh, head to the phone lines. Starting off in Beaumont, Sue has called in today. Good morning, Sue. Good morning, Kevin. I hope you get feeling better. Thank you. <laughs> I want to ask Richard a question. All right. Uh, hello. Yeah, go ahead. I'm yeah. having trouble with my phone, so uh, I've often wondered if there's any connection with. Have you ever noticed the facial structure of bears and dogs are a lot alike, and even bats have that long snout and the eyes sit the way their eyes are set and their skull and everything. Is there any genetic? I mean, not maybe genetic, but family connection between dogs and bears and because their faces can look so similar. You know what I mean? Yes. Well, they are carnivores, even, even though bears are, are are called omnivores because they eat really more plant material. But they're, they're classified as a carnivore, just, just like dogs, cats, uh, raccoons, that, you know, that all those, they're separate families. Uh, but they probably share a, at least 
way, way, way back, uh, you know, a, a close ancestry, but um, but they are, are all carnivores. Because you, know, you notice uh, felines don't have that facial structure. Right. The snout part and, all, and the eyes, the way their eyes are set, I've always often thought how similar they look. And that's really based on, on their feeding behavior. Uh, cats generally... Uh, Kill by you know a bite to the neck or the throat or something like that. Dogs uh, run down on how they how they feed and how they how they actually kill their prey. You know, interestingly enough, though, the bear's teeth look more like ours than they do like dogs or cats. Right. And I've always thought that's because of we're omnivores too. The pigs and people and bear, yeah. our teeth all look very right. similar. Yeah, and, and bears in Mississippi eat uh, over ninety percent plant material. Uh, very little animal material. What they do eat, uh, they love grubs. They'll, they'll roll over rotten logs after grubs. Uh, they'll eat ants. They will feed on carrion if they find a, happen to find a, a not too, uh, you know, rotting carcass of an animal. They will feed on that as well. All right. Thanks for your call, Sue. Let's move on next. Uh, Todd's called in from Jackson this morning. Go ahead, Todd. You're on the air. Uh, when Kevin opened the program, uh, he... Uh, uh, informated that he wanted to hear from anybody who might have survived an encounter with a bear. Um, that's not me, but I'm curious as to how dangerous these animals really are. I've been led to believe that especially the black bears are very shy, and that even an encounter with a, uh, a sow with cubs, uh, she would probably only bluff charge. She wouldn't actually really make contact with you. Can, you. can you clarify that so we're not all frightened to death if we do encounter one of these? Sure, absolutely, um, and, and you're correct. Black bears are, and, and grizzlies as well. Bears in general are, for the most part, uh, not aggressive. Uh, there are, there are been, there have been attacks. There have been fatalities throughout North America over, you know, that have been recorded over the past two to three hundred years. Uh, various situations with black bears. Uh, generally, uh, we've always heard about. You know, don't get between a, a mom and her cubs, and that's generally true. But it's more true of grizzly bears. Uh, the the flight response of black bears is to send the cubs running up a tree. Uh, once the mom knows they're safe, she's pretty much okay. Still, you don't want to try to approach uh, a bear with cubs, particularly if you're in an area, say, up in the Smoky Mountains, where bears are more common. Uh, the best thing is to stay back. I think their rule up there in the Smokies is don't get any closer than 50 yards. Um, and, and that's for, for safety reasons. Uh, if, if you happen to live in, in quote, bear country in Mississippi and, and you walk out your back door at night and the bear's getting in your garbage can or eating pet food off the back porch or something, uh, generally, if you make loud noise, if, whether it's banging pots and pans together or, or anything uh, to scare the bear, it, it, it will leave. And again, that there have been cases of, of fatalities and attacks uh, in North America. But for the most part, you don't want to corner a bear, you, you know, uh, give it any reason. It's kind of a fight or flight. You know, if somebody cornered you, your first thing is to get out of there. Uh, same with the bear. All right, Todd, good question. Thanks for calling in this morning. And it's interesting to me that it seems like the creatures that humans tend to be most afraid of, bears and snakes come to mind, they're just about almost as afraid of us as we are of right. them. So. The, the ticks are what we have to be afraid of. That's what we've learned, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. 
We're visiting today on Creature Comforts with Richard Rummel. He's from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks Black Bear Program. So if you have a question about black bear, we're talking about that this morning. Also, uh, Dr. Major is here, always ready to take your pet questions. And if you have any encounters with wildlife that you'd like to share, give us a call. We've got some open phone lines at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. So, Richard, you mentioned uh, the coast as being a spot where uh, maybe some some of the black bear um, population can be found. What are other parts of the state where folks might be most likely to see a black bear? Our uh, densest population, or highest concentration, really is along the Mississippi River, uh, really from the Tennessee line all the way down uh, to Wilkinson County. Uh, and primarily that has been in the past inside the levee and because most of that is still undeveloped it, it's large hunting camps and that sort of thing with you know good bottomland hardwood just prime bear habitat but then outside the levee as well more you know inland toward the state there's a there are a lot of woods uh river drain wooded river drainages so so bears are there as well i th- I think over the years we don't get as many reports from those areas because people are used to seeing them. Occasionally we'll get a hunter that will or put on Facebook, he's in a tree stand and he sees a bear below him or, or cubs and, and videos it. But on the coast, um, the the population is a lot as, not as large uh, and a lot of people don't even know there are bears down there. And this time of year, again, the May, June, when they start moving around, uh, boy, we get a lot of calls. And um, so, uh, and I think it's just more of a, uh, I don't know if novelty is the right word. Mm-hmm. Again, most of the areas where the bears are, are are not that unusual along through the delta, along the river, people just don't report them anymore. And if I remember correctly, maybe from an earlier visit, the, they're actually quite good swimmers, and a lot of times you'll see them on the other side of the Mississippi River in, in Louisiana and crossing back and forth. Oh, absolutely. Uh, years ago, there were uh, we worked closely with Arkansas Game and Fish Commission and uh, well, I guess adjacent to Bolivar County, Rosedale area up there. Uh, they had a radio-collared female that was documented swimming uh, the Mississippi River across into Mississippi and then back with three cubs on hmm. her back. Uh, <laughs> Now, she obviously didn't end up immediately across the river when she swam. If uh, I've been in John boats up there, and there's pretty swift current up through there. Uh, and also, the uh, the first record, recent record, uh, I think it was 2005, of bear reproduction in Mississippi in Wilkinson County was a female that was moved from Tensaw National Wildlife Refuge in Louisiana they were trying to uh, kind of enhance the population and connect two subpopulations in Louisiana. And she was one of 40-some-odd bears moved to wildlife manage- management areas across the Mississippi River from the Wilkinson County area. She came across Mississippi. She came across the river into Mississippi, bred with a Mississippi bear, and produced five cubs, which is very unusual. Uh, so... And and occasionally we'll get a video of someone fishing in the Mississippi River and look up and, you know, there's a bear swimming across the river. <laughs> it, it's it's incredible that they can do that, and, and particularly with that one instance we know of three cubs on her back. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned Wilkinson County, and so we actually, our next caller, Lee, is from there. Lee, you're on the air. Go ahead. Good morning. Morning. Good morning. I'd like to ask Mr. Rommel, um, just about a year ago, 
we had what we call the largest black bear subspecies killed by person driving up six to one north, Miss Robinson. I'd like to know if there was a necropsy done on that bear, and is that bear being used as a teaching tool at the Mississippi Museum of and that Department of Wildlife and Fisheries? Um. That bear is currently at a taxidermist. It was that bear weighed 468 pounds, the largest one that's ever that in recent times recorded in Mississippi. We've had a couple of other males that uh, we've captured for radio collaring, uh, 430 pound range, uh, but this and 468 pounds, uh, it's the largest one on record. Uh, very familiar with that. We picked up the bear, and like I said, it's uh. It will be in the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks main lobby at our at our Jackson office, uh, and that's currently at a taxidermy. We know uh, from pictures of that bear previously, over a two to three to four year time period, maybe uh, it was at a corn feeder <laughs> close by, uh, and bears unnaturally gain weight. Or I should say, just not from a normal weight, and that's that's range wide. What what bear biologists have determined that that feed on corn that have an unnatural uh, source of high protein that they will gorge on uh, from these wildlife feeders and uh, and gain weight kind of unnaturally. But that yeah, that bear had a lot of corn in it. So right. he wasn't a healthy bear. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a little obese. <laughs> a little, little obese. Yeah. Bears can be couch potatoes too. Yeah, I guess, I guess you know, so. so. Yeah, we, he, he wasn't fast enough to get across the road either. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we need to take another break. When we get back, we will continue visiting with our guest today. It's Richard Rummel from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks Black Bear Program. Doctor Major's here, ready to take some pet questions as well. So give us a call to join the conversation. The number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. Back with more Creature Comforts after this. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. And Libby Hartfield is retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're visiting today with Richard Rummel from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks Black Bear Program. So we've been talking about black bear. We've been taking some questions. Uh, Dr. Major's here ready to take some pet questions as well. Phone lines are open, so give us a call if you'd like to join in today at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 So a lot of people, I guess, when they think bear, probably think about a grizzly bear. If you could maybe give us compare and contrast grizzly bears to black bears. Okay. Uh, of course, uh, black bears are much smaller. They're found pretty much throughout North America. Grizzlies are, at least in the United States, pretty much confined to portions of uh, Wyoming and Montana, Idaho a little bit. They were uh, really killed out, exterminated over the years. Black bear took a pretty hard hit, but they've rebound, uh, rebounded uh, much easier. So, uh we're involved with with regional bear groups, uh, kind of in the eastern U.S. and and 
actually stay in touch, go to meetings and conferences with bear biologists all over the east. So black bears are really doing well. Um, but as, as far as the size, again, they're a smaller animal. Uh, a female in Mississippi, you know, 200 pounds, something like that, 150 to 200 pounds, maybe a little more. Uh, males, 3 to 350. And again, I mentioned a while ago these, these couple that we had are 400 plus. Uh, that's a little on the high side uh, for, for this neck of the woods, so to speak. Um, but, um, and, and they, as I mentioned, bears, uh, black bears eat primarily plant material, whether it's uh, in the early spring, they're eating grass before natural foods like uh, fruits and berries, and uh, whether it's blackberries, blueberries, any kind of fruit starts coming on. And then in the fall, uh, they really gorge on acorns, hickory nuts, and that sort of thing. High protein, high calorie food, um, and occasional. Like I said, they, it's been known that they will take a, a small animal, um, but very rarely, uh, very rarely. Grizzlies, on the other hand, uh, while they do feed on plant material, uh, they will feed on on. Elk calves, mule deer calves, uh, whitetail, they're, they're more of a meat eater uh, than the black bears. And we mentioned uh, that black bears are quite good swimmers, and, and you had mentioned earlier that one of the things that the mother bear uh, will do when she feels threatened with her cubs is to get her cubs up a tree, so I imagine they are, they're good climbers as well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we have we put cameras on some trees up in the, del- uh, up in the Delta, some den trees that where we had uh, done den work on the on the cubs or actually some den trees that were flooded at the time and we couldn't work them and put cameras adjacent to and have pictures of the cubs um you know climbing down from them uh as as they emerged from the den in in say mid-april and you know there may be uh at that time six seven pounds just a little bitty guys you know not much much bigger than a chihuahua (laughs) and they're climbing 30 feet down the side of a tree uh (laughs) When you handle one uh, at say five weeks old, their their claws are like a cat. I mean, they're extremely sharp, uh, very sharp. Okay, got a caller on the line to get to, so we say good morning to Renee in Past Christian. Renee, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Can you hear me? Yeah, go yes. ahead. Hello. Yes, yeah, you're on the air. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, I was just very interested. I just tuned in when you were talking about the very large black bear, and I was just wondering how did it actually die? It was hit by a car. It, yeah, unfortunately, about uh, 1 o'clock in the morning, uh, just um, in, a, in an area that's very wooded on both sides. It's a very wooded area, and it just crossed the road at the wrong time. Okay, that was a pity. Thank you so much. All right, you're welcome. Thanks for the call. And could you imagine driving somewhere at 1 a.m. and and having a collision with a 400 pound plus black bear? That must have. Yeah, fortunately nobody was was injured there. It they can be, uh, and uh, I'm I don't recall or don't I'm not aware of any injuries on the on the few. Uh, we get average in the past few years about two roadkill bears a year. It, it's increasing some, uh, and most of that is is when somebody drives down the road the next morning at right after sunrise and sees a bear on the side of the road. So uh, obviously, whoever hit it was not injured or to the extent that 
you know, that bad. There um, wasn't a police report. No, no. Yeah. Well, both of those at the museum were hit by pretty large trucks. Remember yeah, that? Yeah. Both so that and and bears will take a hard lick. We we have instances where uh, bears have been hit by vehicles, been on the side of the road, and unless there's some obvious, say, spinal injury or you know, just just really bad where they can't make it, mm. we give them a chance. They can get up and walk off, and they may limp, but um, but they can take a hard lick. If you have a question for our guest, uh, Richard Rummel, this morning about black bears, please uh, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. I haven't had a pet question for Dr. Major either, so if you have one, go ahead and give us a call because uh, the phone lines are open. So you mentioned uh, that this is, I guess, a mating season. Tell us a little bit about the, the mating habits of the black bear. Okay. Yeah, coming up next month around mid-July into August uh, is is breeding season in Mississippi. The, the females that may have had cubs last year, which the cubs are born in a den in January, usually late January. So they stay with the mom all that year. They den with her at the end of that year, that winter. And then around May, cubs are 16 to 18 months old. She's ready to breed again. So she kicks them out. It's like you're on your own. Uh, so that that's, again, that's what's kind of going on now with a lot of our sightings, just a lot of these little little yearlings running all over the place. So anyway, the, uh, the female will, you know, connect with the male. They may spend a couple of days uh, around each other breeding. In fact, a female may breed with more than one male. It's, it's possible that a litter of cubs has more than one father. Um, and people ask a lot of time about the gestation of a bear, and that, that's kind of a, a two-part question. Unlike humans, bears can be kind of pregnant. <laughs> um, they uh, they breed, and uh, the female, kind of the, the fertilized egg or, or blastocyst, at the time does not immediately attach to the uterine wall in the female. It just kind of floats around. Uh, and the female, between the time she's bred until late fall, she's really packing on the pound. She's packing on calories because she's going to spend about four months in a den not eating, a couple of those months getting ready and then giving birth and then nursing young. So she has to be very healthy, have a big fat reserve. I guess it's just like, you know, humans pregnant lady you got to be to to carry a child you have to be maintain good health and uh uh so the bears uh the females until they're they're spending what we call hyperphagia it's basically feeding frenzy they're just packing on the calories really trying to get and toward the end of the fall if she is physically fit her her body knows that then the cubs will, or the embryos will continue to develop. Hmm. So the actual gestation, really, of a bear is only about eight weeks, uh, but it's kind of a prolonged embryonic diapause. Is another hundred dollar word, you know. <laughs> and and the cubs are born usually in late January uh, in a den with the female, um, and will nurse her nurse till they come out mid April, something like that. So what would the ideal bear den be? Well, really in, in Mississippi, two different kinds. You either have a ground den, which may be slap in the middle of a big uh, briar patch, literally, <laughs> where it's <laughs> difficult to get into. Uh, 
if that's if they're not suitable den trees around it's very it's very common for a female to i mean and it's it's tough uh working those kinds of dens and i say working when we try to go in if it's a radio collared female and we want to check the cubs uh you know it it can uh not be fun to work those dens alternatively they'll use a tree den uh a tree with a large enough diameter uh, to have a cavity, whether it's a bald cypress tree, which is very common for them to use as a den tree, uh, sycamore, some of the uh, larger oak, post oak, uh, overcup oak, and it may be an opening at the base of the tree, which is, if it's at the base of the tree, we still call that a ground den, but some may be 30 feet up. 40 feet, 50 feet, up till you, till you get to the den opening. Isn't that amazing? They climb all the way up there and hmm. den and in the And, you know, the only way we can find these if we have females of a radio collar, and then we find them, and we go in to do what we call den checks to see if they have cubs. And uh, it may be, uh, you know, using uh, relaying ropes to climb up, just like, you know, your rock climbing, or some, uh, you know, an extension ladder. Uh, you may get up there in the in the opening be just the the female may be curled up one feet one foot below the opening some are almost at the bottom of the tree it's hmm. almost like then you got to crawl down all the way to, to the base <laughs> of the tree and it's amazing they're just packed in there it's not a big roomy <laughs> cave or anything at all it, it's it's like they can just barely get in there so is is litter the correct term for the cub, I mean, the, yep. okay. What What's a typical size litter, would you say? Uh, two to three is average. Sometimes a female may only have one. If it's her first, uh, you know, litter, she may have one or two. Um, uh, generally, as they get older, they may have a larger litter, you know, if they've had two to three litters as they grow older. But uh, two to three is is average. And then you mentioned how the after the what was it about sixteen months or so the the young are, are shooed away. Do they maintain any kind of family network, or pretty much once they're gone, they're kind of out on their own? Yeah, generally the female cubs uh, will stay closer to to the natal range of where they were born, their their mom's home range. Uh, the males, just like any carnivore, uh, dispersing when they get that dispersal age, we call it. Uh, they may end up anywhere uh they may end up 50 miles 100 miles 200 miles away they're they're going out to find their own territory uh but the females typically stay uh either within the the mother's home range or very close to it right on the edge so the females don't don't disperse much at all and that's one of the the situations with uh the population of mississippi recolonizing is we're getting we're getting more females and more reproduction, but they don't move very far. It's like little taking baby steps. It's not like the females leave and move 50 miles and then they breed. So it's it's very slow uh, recolonization. And also, I imagine if you t- forcibly took one out of that, would they naturally want to get back into that natal range that you were talking about? Yes, absolutely. And that's one reason uh, we don't typically, it's not our policy to uh, go move a bear unless it's causing extreme problems just somebody see a bear um and it's not just us it's it's wherever bears are found throughout the world <laughs> uh if you try to move one from its home range and and, and move it 50 100 miles away it's going to try to get back 
and a lot of times it will get back. In the meantime, if it's if it's a conflict situation where it may have been getting in beehives or getting in garbage or anything like that, you're just moving the problem somewhere else. Um, you're not you're not resolving the problem. And then too, if, as that animal tries to move back to its home range, there's a good chance it may you know get run over by a car that sort of thing. Okay. Time for one last break this hour. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. And today we're visiting with Richard Rummel, who is our resident black bear expert. Uh, we'll back back to wrap up the show after this. Still time for you to work in a phone call. It's one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, the retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're visiting today with Richard Rummel from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks Black Bear Program. Uh, so, Richard, you mentioned the beginning of the show, and we want to mention it again, uh, that uh, there is something on the uh, website that will help folks if they sight a bear. If you could uh, give us the details on that again. Okay. Absolutely. You can go to our agency's website, www.mdwfp.com backslash bear, and, um, or you can just go to MDWFP and navigate to it. Uh, we have a lot of information on bears, but one of the features uh, we've just uh, upgraded a little bit is how to report a bear sighting. And you just see there, report a bear sighting, click on that. Uh, there are a lot of uh, blanks, information to fill in as much as you can about the bear, and also an interactive map. If you don't know exactly where you were when you saw it, uh, you can go into that map and scroll around and move the map all around, and then you can, as close as you can, put a dot on the map. Um, so, yeah, uh, one other thing we wanted to get to before these last bunch of phone calls, and that is uh, how to keep bears away if you don't want them near your property, and also should we be feeding bears? Yeah, absolutely not. Uh, one of the, the, the biggest uh, conflict, human-bear conflict situations we have are simply uh, where we have intentionally or unintentionally provided attractants to bear. To bears, an attractant is something the bear wants to eat. Whether it is unsecured garbage, whether it's uh, pet food, you know, if you feed your dog or cat outside overnight and leave the leftovers on the porch or the patio, uh, bird feeders. People don't think about a you know two, three, four hundred pound animal like in bird seed, but they will absolutely take down a bird feeder. Um, and so, it, if you have a bear. In your area, uh, as we were talking earlier about uh, some of the, the coastal areas where the bears are just walking through, somebody sees one walking through the yard, the bear's looking for something to eat um, it is what it amounts to. So if you can uh, try to secure your garbage and something that the bear can't get into, uh, don't don't leave pet food out overnight. Uh, not only bears, but it attracts raccoons and possums and skunks and everything mm-hmm. else. Um and you certainly don't want a bear coming back. They have a tremendous memory. They have a tremendous sense of smell. If they found dog food on the back porch tonight, they're going to come back through tomorrow night. Um, we have um, 
one of the things on additionally things on our website, uh, we work really closely with the uh, 16 other southeastern uh, wildlife agencies creating a, a website called bearwise.org. There's a link to it on our website, and the idea behind that was that all of us were giving the same information about bears to the public. Also, to keep wild bears wild and to resolve any kind of human bear conflicts, how to do that. It is a tremendous amount of information on there. Uh, and what I've learned working with bears and, and bear managers and stuff over the past few years, we recently attended an international conference in Gatlinburg, a uh, human bear conflict workshop. Literally 300 folks and bears, uh, bear folks from all over the world, and the, the theme is common. Um, we, we create nuisance bears by leaving, whether it's intentional or unintentional, attractants in, in our yard, whether you're camping in the Smokies and, and you know, leave food in your vehicle or, or, or whatever. Uh, the, it, it's a common theme. So as long as bears are around, uh, we need to manage ourselves and, and to prevent any kind of conflicts. All right, very good. Let's get some phone calls before the show ends. We start with Anthony from Atlanta, Georgia. Good morning, Anthony. Go ahead, please. Uh, hello. Yes, you're on the air. Go ahead. I had a question about um, the, the, if the female bears do not wander too far away from the, the mother's territory. Is there any instance of uh, fathers breeding with daughters? Probably so. Uh, I don't know where it's documented. Uh, and I know, I think they're, I'm not exactly where you, sure you where you are in, in Georgia. Uh, we work the Georgia folks over there, but there it, it wouldn't surprise me at all, particularly in, in a smaller population. If it's if it's fairly isolated, uh, in other words, the bears are kind of you know surrounded by developed land in their one area, and that would occur not just with bears, but you know other species as well. But it, yes, that wouldn't surprise me at all. All right, Anthony, appreciate that call. Next, we've got uh, Jan from Columbus. Good morning, Jan. Go ahead. Hi, good morning. This is a little bit off topic, but um, we've recently moved out into the country near Golden Triangle Airport, and we were so pleased to um, be able to spot a family of foxes that had built a den under one of our sheds. The mother uh, disappeared, it seemed, for a few days and then returned wearing a black collar, and I was wondering if you might be aware of any um, organizations that might be tagging foxes and how they would have gone about maybe capturing her and then releasing her back into to, um, our pasture. I'm not sure of any. Uh, is this just look like a like a dog collar? Does it look like uh, something more? Uh, it looked like it was something more. It was black and it appeared to have a little box on it. Okay. And we we just felt like we would have noticed. Um, anybody trying to capture her, although I know they have a fairly large range when they're hunting and they're providing food for a litter of kits. Jan, yeah, if you'll call the Wildlife Department at Mississippi State, they will know who's, if anybody's doing a research project on on Red Fox. Yeah, I'm not sure, but that definitely sounds like a radio telemetry mm-hmm. caller. Yeah, you can uh, you can just call somebody. It, they might want to know where the, the fox is anyway, so it might be good. All right, Jen, uh, thanks for your call. So, yeah, the, the get in touch with the folks there at Mississippi State University in Starkville. Yeah. So uh, we've only got a little bit of time left. J.J. called from Gulfport. Uh, Richard, very quickly, what do you do if you encounter a bear, maybe, say, while hiking? Okay, don't approach it. 
Uh, give it its space. In fact, if you need to, back away from it. Don't turn and run. Uh, but just back away from it. Uh, again, I think the folks like in Smokies and all areas where they are very common uh, require that you stay 50 yards away. That gives the animal its space. You don't want to corner it in any way, but, uh, you know, just give the bear its space. All right. Great show. Thanks for everybody that participated by calling in. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funded and provided in part by generous contributions from listeners like you. If you need to hear today's show or a previous show, one way to find it is to go to mpbonline.org slash creaturecomforts. And you can subscribe to the podcast using any of a podcast apps. So our show is produced by Java Chapman. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest Richard Rummel, I'm Kevin Farrell. Inviting you to stay tuned up next at 10. It's MPB's Season Pass with Jay White. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio.